Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 62 to Biggin Hill. We're back, We are Alex. back, yes. It's been one of those periods where the time has just flown by and you said to me when we <laughs> saw each other recently, oh, you know, we should record. It's been a while. And I said, it can't be that long. And you said, the last episode went live a month ago. <laughs> so we are very behind. <laughs> and we don't want to do what we did last year, which is not recording for almost three months. Accidental hiatus, a, yeah. Really, guys, we're sorry. Obviously, we travel a lot and we don't travel in sync. That's the thing. It's not as if, you know, we share a Google calendar with Alex and be able to say, oh, we should be in London at the same time to record a show. So it's literally, I think, the first time in three, four weeks that we are actually in London at the same time, which is also why we chose this airport called London Bigging Hill, uh, which we hinted at many, many times in the past. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of our listeners have been to this airport. There's no regular service going there. So... (laughs) So back to London, but the first big thing, obviously, that we're going to talk about uh, amongst all the stuff that we've missed, and we've missed a lot. So guys, we're not going to talk about everything that we've missed in the past, actually, five and a half weeks since we last recorded, not five since the last time the show is uh, Emirates. Emirates has finally, after almost years of telling us they will do it, a new product, a new first-class product, a new business-class product, and a new economy coach product for the 777, so not for the 380 yet. Let's, of course, look at the obvious one, the Emirates first-class product. Uh, Wow. Extraordinary. (laughs) Absolutely extraordinary. You knew it was going to be good, but you didn't know why, and they've just... It's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. It's these fully enclosed suites that are just the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Yeah, well, you remember, guys, when we closed our last episode, I was telling you that I was about to fly Emirates and I just had uh, secured uh, an upgrade to first class. The first class on Emirates, which I did, by the way, back from uh, Dubai to uh, London now almost a month ago, actually, is already an extraordinary experience. Uh, I, I, have you ever done first class on Emirates? No, I, but I'm doing it in uh, five days. Oh yes, yeah, sure. Of so course. I'm looking forward to that because I've been so <laughs> envious of your of your first class experiences that when I had the opportunity, I jumped at it. <laughs> So I mean, we'll talk again about it when you will have finally done it. And don't remember to take a shower, Absolutely. Alex. <laughs> but this, this is even... So there's no shower on a 777. I mean, they're not planning to. There's no space to put showers. But first of all, it's fully enclosed. So like you said, the doors literally go up to the roof yeah. of the ceiling of the, the cabin, which was not exactly the case. So there's currently multiple concurrent first products of Emirates. They all look alike, but... You know, sometimes you end up being in one of the oldest ones where the screen cannot be touched. Mm. And for instance, your little console with your little screen next to you has a wire. Then the following version, it's a wireless. And the following version is a bigger screen. And the very, very latest versions, and I told you that's how you will recognize it, Alex, when you fly it, has LEDs even on the floor in front of you when you put your feet so that imitates the stars during the night. It has like this fantastic 32-inch screen. And the doors are already very high, but this is completely 
it's basically the, the perfect flight experience if you're a full introvert because you don't have to talk to <laughs> yeah, anyone. Yeah, they even have this like little cut, like cutaway hole that they pass your food through. Yeah, that's you know, crazy, so you don't even right? have to open the door and deal with anybody. But it also means that because it's a fully enclosed space, there's full climate control. So you can, which is so it good. It really is. It really is. So you can make it hot or cold because you're not affecting the rest of the cabin. So it's 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 really rather extraordinary. And I think uh, certainly for the business class and economy product, which we'll come on to in a little bit, they partnered with Mercedes. Also for the yeah, first class. And, and, and you class, can yeah. really tell gone is all the wood paneling, veneer, and gold. <laughs> It's much more, uh, what's the word? Refined is probably the Refined, better word. Yes. And it was not it's less, uh, gaudy. Tacky. Uh, I mean, I love Emirates, but that always kind of bugged me. Mm. I understood why they would do it. But it was, uh, for instance, if you fly Etihad, which I've done on a, only a few, very few times, they're very reminiscent of Emirates. A lot of people would say they're just the fast copiers. Mm. But one thing they always did is they had a much more refined, uh, the color palette was better. This this is much, much might, better. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a lot of marketing to say that, you know, they work with Mercedes and that they took like hints from, I think it's the uh, Series S 500, but it actually, yeah. looks, there's, there's, I understand where it comes it really, from, right? It really does. I mean, you can see across the entire airplane now, these Mercedes touches, it looks classy is such a, it's such an easy word to use, but it does. It looks, it looks comfortable. It looks well thought out. As you say, the, the color palette and the tones and the materials look very, very Mercedes, which is which is a good thing. The seat as well looks like it could be in the back of a Mercedes as well. Uh, yeah, they they will only have Mercedes for the chauffeur drive service in Dubai. So if you are first yes. and using the chauffeur drive in Dubai, it will only be Mercedes from now on. Uh, I've 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 done a few times the chauffeur drive in Dubai, but it was uh, mostly business class. So I don't know if it was already only Mercedes or they had like other cars. But it's really like a, a full tie-in. Coming back to the the climate control, I'm so happy because we had a fizzy discussion a few episodes ago about the lack of air yeah, vents. In, in and, 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 I, and, I, and now every single time I take a, a plane, I've taken quite a few, like you did, and we'll come to some of these travels during this show, especially the long haul one. I don't see the air vents, and I'm like, oh my my God, like I'm either too hot. I mean, usually I'm too hot, actually, yeah. especially uh, I went to Japan and they tend to overheat the plane. So this is not guys that we will travel when it's first a lot, Alex and myself, but we'll definitely try to get upgraded once. But, I, you know, I think, try. you know, we, we'll get into more details because there's some features in this product that are really quite extraordinary. But the way I see it, and I think that Emirates have done this as well, is that if your first class cabin is the bleeding edge for innovation and comfort and technology, that thinking is going to trickle down through the airplane, through business, premium economy, and yeah. economy, if it's done right. And I think Emirates are a great example yeah. of that. So, you know, wh while we may not always travel in first, we'll benefit from this entire project just because the whole experience shifts up as well. So all the other features, uh, lightning, you have a full also lightning control. It's like these uh, Philips Hue mm -hmm. and all these other like very fancy lights where you can choose the color palette as well. Uh, you can either let the computer choose for you uh, or you can choose like multiple colors. Again, you can see that actually live on some of the official Emirates uh, videos. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty fancy. I'm not sure how much you will use it, though. You know, maybe you want some 
like dark blue or something. Yeah. Uh, the big change is also that so one one one. It used to be one two one. So there's no way of being two people. So in a couple that don't, you I mean you're separated from your partner. There's no like such thing as other airlines have done, and we'll come to uh, others in a few in a few minutes uh, with like a double bed or anything. So you're really on your own. Uh, but the big thing, the big thing that everybody talks about that, that gets us like so excited is that the announce in the middle of the announcement they talk about virtual windows. And we're like, what the heck are they? talking about virtual windows so if you are in the middle row uh, of course you don't have windows in the middle row but what they did they actually created fake windows yeah. the actual size of the window you see on the side of the triple seven and they have ultra high definition screens showing you what's actually going on so it's as if you had a window seat, which for the first time in my life, I might actually choose a middle seat instead of just to see that. It's right? utterly extraordinary because I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of cameras and the camera views. But and you, you and I were talking about this when they first announced it. When you when you have it on a little tiny screen, it looks great. But then when you put it on the big screen in front of you, it's grainy and it's really difficult to see. So I was yeah. a little skeptical. And then I saw the video I, and it was a guy just you know taking you around the cabin and showing you obviously in a window seat and you could see everybody boarding the airplane and tooling around. This was at the Dubai Air Show. Yeah, he wasn't. He was in one of these middle suites and those were screens. It That's was amazing. breathtaking. So every seat Absolutely. is a window seat. It's it's really re extraordinary technology. So that's a, a video from Gulf News. Uh, the journalist is called Ant Klaus. I'll put also that video in the show notes. And the one thing that he mentions, of course, that's not an official video, he mentions that and I'm not sure he's right, you'd be able to choose the view on the windows, which I find awkward because uh, first, yeah, Alex and I had like a mid-investigation by looking at videos because I was kind of unsure on which side the windows were looking, you know, so you have 1A and 2A. On the other side is uh, 1K and 2K. So these are actual windows. And the middle is either E, so it's 1E, meaning the entrance is opposite to 1A, or it's 2F, which means the entrance is actually opposite to 2K, which actually means that even in the middle, you have a you choice of having your window either on the yeah. left or either on the right side, star starboard or port. But again, this uh, Ed Klaus says, which I found bonkers, that you'd be able to choose the, the view, which means you could actually see the plane going in reverse or something. Yeah. I'm not sure he's actually right. What, what do you I, think? I, I was trying to work that out in my head as well, and whether it mirrors, flips the image so that it, yeah. it orients itself properly to what side of the of the cabin or suite your windows are on i'm i'm also very interested to see how these work at night as well because yep. uh generally they don't work very well unless there's a, a full moon but having seen the quality of them maybe they will who knows i i cannot yeah, wait knows? to experience yeah. this more importantly i cannot wait for this to become standard technology for the cameras that we use as well which i know is a gimmick but it's such a wonderful thing to be able to pull up the view I love it. I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it so much to that sort of it's it's removed my need to to feel like I always need to be by the window. If I can get a reasonable view on the screen in front of me, it's wonderful. And it also opens the door, of course, to have any other kind of entertainment and or views and or choosing. I want to see New York now. I mean, at some point, I'm sure they will do it. They will have like choices of you know other stuff to see. Like I, I want to see a landing. And in, I don't know, Sao Paulo yeah. and, and, and just see, I don't know how, because it, it might be confusing to see a landing while you're actually in 30,000 yeah, feet. Yeah, but you could also I don't do, know how much. you know, and this is always something I'd love to see is, is you could have an augmented reality view. So you could see yeah. 
you know, totally. this, you know, a little marker as you go over a town saying this is Salzburg, you know, or as a, and as another plane flies past in the distance, like a, you know, flight radar 24 identifier saying who it is. I would love that. I would spend my entire, not that I don't anyway, spend the entire <laughs> flight looking out the window, but you know, that can't be that hard to do if you've, if you've already perfected this high definition screen and camera technology. So anyway, the first of routes will be, I mean, let's go into cliches, will be Brussels and Geneva. Uh, so as you guys know, I was born in Geneva. 30% of the world's wealth is dealt from Geneva. That probably explains yeah. why they chose that city. And Brussels, I don't know, it also shows maybe that the salaries of these EU uh, bureaucrats is high enough to actually, actually use. But anyway, we'll probably see that very soon. The other thing that since you mentioned that you like to see through windows, uh, I know it's a bit of a gimmick, but the actual window seats on either side will have binoculars yeah are they it's kind of weird isn't it like why (laughs) just to be able to see stuff i mean look i'm probably sure i mean you can see them on one of again these videos they're like normal binoculars or probably with that kind of very high definition uh what do you see probably you see bigger clouds or something Uh, it's a a gimmick it probably be in in some little drawer and you can use them if you want. I, I, it's not a big cost to have to have that, yeah. right? It's just like a... I mean, all the video that reviews adds- that I've seen, they've just been, they've been sat on the, on the table in front of you and people, you know, yeah. you can, you can use them, but it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting touch, I suppose, but they've got like the old school writing uh, uh, yep. pad available to pad. you. It's a, yeah. yeah, plus some cosmetics. We haven't seen the amenity kits. I'm sure they will be also like super fancy. Again, like you said, this door, I mean, this opening next to the screen. So you already have in front of the screen when you have this uh, writing material, you already have like a, a small table, which you can augment, obviously, by pulling the big table, the tray, basically, where the food will be sat. Like you said, you don't have to open the door. You can open like in these very fancy hotels, open like a little opening and the, the personnel basically will have uh, being able to deliver you the food. But the thing, even more crazily, you can even video conference the staff. When you call, you don't have to, you don't press a button and, you know, like there's a little ding and somebody comes. No, no, you have a video chat with yeah, the, poor, the, poor flight the, attendants. <laughs> my God. I'm not sure if you can have video chats in between different suites. Maybe if you're with someone else. Well, that's else, what I was could, thinking. I like, because you mentioned that, you know, since they're all enclosed, you can't fly with anybody. So maybe you could do have a because the screen as you say this 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 control screen is bigger than the economy's ife screen so you've got this monster screen in front of you and then you've got this also monster uh control screen as well and i wonder if you could actually uh use that for a perma facetime call yeah, exactly. I was about to say like a FaceTime in, in flight. I don't know. We'll see about that. We hope. I'm sure that we get plenty of videos. Uh, the seat itself goes, that's the other partnership, like the partner with NASA, uh, the, the space agency in the US to have a zero gravity position. Uh, so you have, you know, the life flight position. This is, sh- I mean, it's like, I think you have four meters of legroom in that suite. So guys, you know, Amazing. when we complain about the legroom in, in the back, four meters, it just, I mean, you know, I'm tall, but I hold the space I want. Apparently, when when the seat goes from 
the normal position of landing and takeoff and it goes into lie flat, it not only goes like all seats, it basically goes flat, yeah. but it also goes slightly sideways to give you more clearance from the windows. I'm not sure. I've heard that twice being said. I've, I haven't seen a video of the seat actually going down, but apparently so it's, it moves slightly sideways as well to offer you more comfort when you sleep. There's like already in first class for Emirates, there's a, a mattress uh, and a lot of cushions. They actually now homed above your head. There's like a compartment when you can actually either open yourself or, of course, ask a member of the staff via video call yeah, to, to come and do it for bed. you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My God, I've never, you know, I've I've been in, usually I do it myself and over the few times I've been lucky to be in first class. And so the zero gravity is an in-between kind of uh, seating. And he says it's the most comfortable seating you can have for the human body, uh, which is kind of, I don't know about you, Alex, but it's kind of a position that I often kind of take when I have a life flight. That try. Yeah, I'm not, not fully I, I like that position. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was, I flew back recently in a in a business class seat, and that was is one of the positions where you're not fully reclined, but you're not upright, and it's sort of yeah, it's very nice. It's what those sort of those classic 1950s recliner chairs would have you in with your legs slightly elevated. Really, yeah, really cool. And and as you say, they've worked with people who really know what they're talking about, Mercedes and NASA, when it comes to, <laughs> to finding human comfort levels. So it's beautifully designed. So, of course, that's a product we'll probably see in the 777X as well, which are coming uh, by 2020, uh, the first ones. There's been also noise that Emirates is looking at retrofitting uh, some of its uh, 380s towards this product as well. Uh, they're also expecting, of course, new uh, F380s. They haven't fully disclosed what the product will be the 380 because, of course, there's more room on the 380 than a 777. So what will they do? Will they keep like 111 or 121? I don't We don't know. We'll see what, what will actually happen. The, the retrofitting, I'm always hesitant because Emirates doesn't retrofit a lot because you can still find a lot of the older, and again, they're not that old because Emirates has a very recent fleet yeah. compared to others, but you can find multiple iterations of the same product. Again, it could be also business or it could be coach. Uh, so meaning I don't know how much they will actually retrofit. We'll learn probably very, very soon. And they order anyway, like a lot, lot of planes. We'll talk about that also in a bit because they've made a massive order, which is very unusual for them. So the business seat, the business seat is this 232 business seat, the one that you have you you've you flown 777 with Emirates, I have, right? Yeah, I have. I flew uh, Shanghai to Dubai once and I was in that uh, that middle three uh, on the aisle. Yes. And they have they haven't done away with that middle seat. It's still the same same yeah. configuration. But this is like straight Mercedes, this design. It looks fantastic. It looks it looks fantastic. They they haven't released as nearly as much detail about this. No, of course. Because not. I think it's a bit more it's just it's a it's an upgrade, an evolution as opposed to this extraordinary product in first. But it looks great. It looks fantastic. It's very close, and I don't know if it's actually the same of the one. They they had announced an upgrade uh, of the business product for 777s already in last April, April 2016, actually, so almost a year and a half now. And I actually was hoping to caught this 777. So I went to Bahrain, as I told you guys recently, and from Dubai to Bahrain, which is only like an hour of 
10 minutes flight. It's a very short flight. They have 777s. And I had looked at the history of the route and looked at the flight that I took because it's a multiple flight per day, had many times had the very latest, maybe because they were doing dry runs on the short routes. I didn't get that, but it's a very close reminiscent. So it's it's, it's really an upgrade of the current 232 product. Some people will say that, well, you know, there's no all ale access. And we had one of our listeners, thank you, uh, Ross, because he's been giving us a lot of message mm. at Menson44 on Twitter saying, well, I wouldn't be so happy to have to go over someone. And that's something that we don't see anymore. Yeah, I mean, take- we, we do bitch about the BA product all the time for that for that exact reason. And I, I'm the picture that I'm looking at of the of the new Emirates business class doesn't actually show you the end of the or the foot end of the seats. It just shows you looking back back down the cabin. So you can't actually see how it works. But just looking at the distance between the back of one row and the beginning of another, it looks like there's quite a lot of room. But There is room. I've never been in the middle because I've been in the current product, the 777. Again, there's multiple iteration, but they all look very much alike. There's not as much difference as the multiple iterations of the first class. And uh, I've said in many episodes recently that I really like, for instance, the Cathay Pacific, which I've taken uh, recently to go, I mean, last week <laughs> to go and come back to, to Tokyo. And, uh, the you know, this kind of herringbone thing, and I felt very comfortable. The one thing that I really enjoy with the Emirates uh, 232, but not only Emirates, it could be any seat that is normal forward-looking and all-style with no all-ale access, is that for someone as tall as me, there's usually more legroom. Uh, there's usually more clearance. I don't touch the seat in front of me when I'm in oh, full wow. lifelike position. And that's the case currently for the 777 uh, Emirates. And I'm sure this will be the case. It still means that probably, of course, when you're in the middle you seat or the it. three in the middle, yeah. you have to go over someone. But I mean, it's a good product. Talking about legroom, the, the same video that I just mentioned, the Gulf News, uh, the guy shows the economy. There's not, again, been a lot of talk about the economy, but the interesting that the economy now has new colors as well much better than the current one. The, yes. the, the fabric of the seat is also improved because I never was a fan of the current fabric. It's not the greatest I've, I've seen. Apparently, this one is looks much better. But the, the one thing that is really surprising is there's a lot of legroom. It's good as it the is, guy, but it looks even better now. That Ed Klaus I mentioned earlier, and I'll put again the video in the, in the show notes, is 6'2". Uh, so he's... He's tall, right? And he he shows where his knees are stopping, and there's a lot of yeah. room, which is nice, right? Yeah. So you've so you you flew recently in coach, right? To I mean, of course, not with a new triple seven, but you you flew uh, from London to Dubai. Yes, right? I did. My whole family did. How was that? Ah, it was. My wife turned to me about an hour and a half into the flight and said, "Why do we fly British Airways?" <laughs> <laughs> Because it it it's it's been a while since I'd flown about two years since I'd flown uh, in economy on Emirates and it's it's very very good like the the screen is huge absolutely huge yeah you had the new ones because that's the ones they don't all all have it and the last time I flew economy which is also two years probably I had a smaller screen you really had the it like takes up the whole seat. yeah, the whole yeah, exactly, seat in yeah. front of you, and it's obviously their infrared entertainment system is amazing, um, and the seats are are comfortable, and you do have a lot of leg room. But also, I mean, the physical product was was fantastic. But like even even things like we so we were in the four row four in the middle, and I loved having you know this great IFE, and then you have a little mini the controller with the mini screen. So I would have either the map yeah. or the camera on that little mini screen. So I could glance down and look outside 
quote unquote look outside and then you know be watching whenever I wanted. But a little touches like they they came down the plane with a Polaroid camera and would take pictures of families and you would get a Polaroid picture and they'd put it in this lovely little holder and they'd all sign their names on the date. And I was like, what a nice little touch. Oh, wow. To remember. I didn't know. Yeah. And wow. the food was good. And they, my wife is very pregnant. So they, they didn't, we didn't book anything, but they picked us up in a, in a, uh, you know, one of the little buggies. Cause we were at the, one of the furthest gates from immigration in, at Dubai. And oh, as okay. they drove us all the way down there and they made sure they took us through immigration, helped us get our bags and took us all the way to the shuttle bus to the hotel. They would absolutely refuse to leave us on our own. Oh, yeah, wow. Really good. Really oh, good. Wow. And, and you didn't request that, right? Nope. And they had it waiting for us uh, or anybody at a Heathrow on the way back. The guy saw me with the two kids and he's like, hey, jump on. And uh, they just, yeah, it's just little things like that. I mean, the only thing that I'll say about the the soft product, and we've talked about this a lot being inconsistent is... You'll have some people who are very nice and then some people who are militant in that, you know, in the enforcement of the rules. And Emirates have this weird uh, policy of collecting blankets and headphones about 45 minutes prior to landing. Yeah, we talked about that. I'm not sure how that. I don't know why they do that. I don't, that that was kind of off putting in a way because they were very aggressive about it. Uh, Yeah, uh, we talked about it. I remember because we, you asked me, is that something a policy? I remember seeing other airlines doing so, but now I can't remember which ones. Uh, maybe they do this uh, because they had some headphones stolen. I don't know. I'm, I'm not here trying to find an excuse. I'm just trying to find an explanation. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love to know. There must be a reason why they're so like aggressive, as you say, to do so. I don't know. It's, it's very strange. And I think, you know, it, it, having uh, flown on a few other airlines and recently, I, I was paid a little bit more attention to that. And we had a, a little bit of access to a to another carrier recently and i'll explain more about that probably in the next episode but hearing about their turnaround policy and who does what you know cabin crew versus ground crew versus cleaning crew was really really interesting i'm, I'm excited to to share that later because it was an interesting insight into this particular airline's practices the, the good thing that what you mentioned about here the experience in economy is that sometimes i'll admit the experience in economy with emirates i mean the experience with the economy in a lot of airlines can suck let's be frankly honest but emirates is, is surprisingly stringent in uh, the size for instance and the weight of the carry-on you can bring it's it's lower than ryanair in europe right it's really lower than ba lower than a lot of the airlines that fly to dubai and anywhere else obviously so they can be quite uh, also like you said the military style yeah. so if you if you are in dubai usually in london it's fine but if you are in dubai traveling somewhere in coach and you trying to get with a carry-on that is bigger you might actually run into somebody no 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 you that that will get in the hole no choice they will be very there's not going to be a lot of tolerance yeah uh that's and it's consistent of a lot of people have been telling me that because they've heard me and you talking about Emirates on this show. And again, we have sometimes, of course, this luxury of being in the front. It was just like, oh, but Emirates is great for a lot of things, but for luggage, it's very, very stringent. So it's good that at least, you know, the rest seems, yeah. uh, because again, like you, I hadn't flown the, in economy for two years. It's something that they need in order to to maintain their, their success, yeah. uh, I, I think. The other thing that they need to maintain their success, of course, buy new planes. 
So Canada, everybody was waiting. So will Emirates announce a new order of 380s? Yeah. You know, they have the new the 380 plus, which nobody has bought. You know, we talked about that in like 10 episodes ago. Nobody has bought it. And it's like this game, like, you know, Emirates is looking at uh, Airbus, telling basically Airbus, yeah, but can you promise us you never can cancel the thing? And on the other end, Airbus is looking at Emirates, well, we might not cancel if you actually you buy. buy. <laughs> <laughs> right? So there's like, it's like, they're really like, it's almost a monopoly about Emirates because nobody is buying these 380s any, anymore. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but the big surprise was they bought like 40 Dreamliners, the Dash 10. Wow, that's a change of uh, strategy almost It is. for them. Uh, I kind of rubbed my eyes and looked in disbelief when I saw that because not only is it a is it a big order, but it's a total departure from their from their fleet strategy, which has yeah. been you know triple sevens because of the efficiency and the range, and then A380s for the bulk. You know, and a lot of people are pointing to the fact that while Emirates is a is a hub and spoke carrier, you know, at the macro sense of the of the phrase, that they can't depend on that forever. So they're going to have to to diversify. And this and the seven eighty seven is the perfect airplane to fill in the gaps and fly some more point to point stuff. Which you know they're they're going to be. Which actually, I wonder if they know something that we don't about open skies routes and. You know more things like Melanda JFK. Yeah, I was about. I was thinking exactly the same, and also I was thinking that probably I, I didn't see the load on my Bahrain Dubai, which seemed pretty high actually. But does it actually make always sense to have on every single route uh, a triple seven three hundred ER yeah. on a one hour route? Maybe there are instances when it would make much more sense to have more leaner. Aircrafts that a, a big, you know, transoceanic. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the Dreamliner is is one of those airplanes that's efficient when you're doing 45 minutes or 12 hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. Where my guess is that if you looked at the efficiency charts or visualizations of the triple seven, it would take a few hours into a flight for it to start to become to hit that efficiency, you know, inflection point. And that that's my guess is that they want to replace the 777 on those routes that you just mentioned with the Dreamliner. I really hope they actually take order because they had made an order, of, if I remember correctly, maybe I'm wrong, guys, please correct me. Uh, I think they had made, they wanted to buy 350s and then they resigned the order. So is it again another point? I don't think so. I think this time, because, you know, the three, the, the, let's not forget the 350 is almost competes more with a 777 and competes because the, the, the Dreamliner is slightly smaller. Of course, they took the Dash 10, which is the biggest of them, yeah. but that's still a small 350. As in, a Dreamliner in, in, is in a class of its own ear. It can do stuff that maybe they'll start doing other point-to-point, like you said, like Fifth Freedom routes that are completely crazy, like, I don't know, like Sydney to Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, very possibly. We, we, stuff that that is completely out of scope of what we think an airline could do in terms of Fifth Freedom routes right, right nowadays. Maybe that's what they want to do, and yeah. that makes sense. It does make sense. It does, it's the perfect airplane to give them a lot of flexibility and buying however many it was 40 of them gives gives them a little bit of room to experiment as well so i'm fascinated to see what they i mean they've they've been the masters of of fleet optimization uh yeah, for the last yeah, 10 years so I, I you know they've clearly got it figured out but it'll be interesting to see as you say if they take them when they take them and then how they use them yeah uh the one thing that i will say that i'm looking forward to is that i appreciate more and again taking these triple sevens from bahrain to dubai and the other way around uh lately because i had been taking only 380s in the past two years 
has reminded me how I feel at least how better the service is on 777s because it's a smaller aircraft. Oh, it feels that, yeah, I don't know. It's always something, and I'm talking here mostly business class Emirates. It feels that sometimes it's almost industrial scale. Yeah. You know, that there's like, there's so many people to cater from. I've not made the count. I don't know. Maybe some of you people that are listening to us have made it. I don't know if that exists somewhere. Did they reduce the number of staff in the 380 compared to when I started flying the 380? We're talking about, you know, like six, seven years ago with Emirates. And there was unlimited routes back then. It seemed to me that the service has to be hurried because there's so many people, you know, on the 380. Whereas it always feels to me when on a 777, so again, same type of staff, same type of training, they're more, not, I wouldn't say that on 380 they're not considerate because they are, but it feels like more personalized in 777. So if I expand that thought, having Dreamliners, which is even smaller, I hope that that enhanced quality or at least feeling of quality will drag on and yeah. that I will feel. And that's what that's how I feel. Um, it's not to say that the service on 380 is not good. It's saying to sometimes it's less personal. Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of inconsistencies as well. And that may be because they're they're having to pull back to the you know the book as it were and not not going above and beyond like they would ordinarily be, be able to if they had a little bit more time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that how it pans out. I mean, they're growing; they're still growing, which means they're still having to recruit as well. So we'll see how that does as well because that's where you really test a company's culture is is when it has to to scale. There's also a video to announce this new first class of Emirates, uh, whereas uh, Jeremy Clarkson yes. is appearing. It's quite a fun video. It's an ad. It's, it's actually running, I know, on TV, but it's available on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes. Arguably, the Jeremy Clarkson of the airline world is called Al Baker uh, because he also has... <laughs> outspoken uh, as uh, as uh, a Clarkson. Uh, Qatar just bought uh, 9.6% of Cathay Pacific. They did, yeah. Interesting move. And a lot of people are still not 100% sure how this is going to work, but they didn't buy it from Cathay or Swire. They actually bought out a, a really a chemical conglomerate, a Chinese chemical conglomerate yep. that had owned, uh, it, was a, it was a pure money-making ploy on their part, they they knew Cathay was a good company. It was run well. So they bought that 9.6% a few years ago and sold it to Qatar for quite a lot of money. And they made, I think they made 100% profit on that. On that, nice. They were they were silent. They didn't really get involved. I mean, they're a chemical company. It's not they weren't going to exactly be able to participate in the running of an airline. But I think it just it raised a few more questions about Cathay's financial footing. There were lots Obviously. of rumors about them being acquired or merging with Air China, who are mm-hmm. another significant uh, shareholder in Cathay. Yeah. It's interesting because it have, of course, first uh, there's uh, timing. It's just after basically American Airline told them no. Yeah. I mean, not that they had a choice, but it was not to happen because they didn't like each other. So basically, Qatar kind of said, okay, we're not going to invest in American Airlines. It happens a few, so maybe that's just, okay, they had to diversify somewhere else. Yeah. But like you just mentioned, it. It's almost like if now Cathay has three major stakeholders that have various, that are very diverse, like almost like contradicting strategies. Yeah. You have Swire, Air China, and, and Qatar Airways. 
it's going to be a fun board meeting every time well, we meet because they know. Cathar don't get a board seat. No, they don't. I know. I know. But meaning, I, I'm not saying they will fight. I'm saying that it's interesting that they might not always agree mm-hmm. on the strategy. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's going to be very interesting to see how this pans out. I mean, the, I think what probably gave Cathay confidence to take this deal was that they've seen how the relationship with IAG and, and BA has gone with that. 20% mm-hmm. investment in IAG that, yep. that Qatar are 20% holding. And they've been, it's been a very beneficial relationship for everybody. Yep. Yeah. Qatar seem to be um, much better at this equity acquisition <laughs> strategy <laughs> than Etihad were, which seemed to be, you know, their strategy seemed to be grabbing at falling knives. But, you know, you're investing in one of them, in two, you know, British Airways and Cathay Pacific. You can, you can really not, not oh, find they, better they also- airlines. And they also have ten percent of Latam. Yeah, so so I mean, I, I know all one world. Uh, exactly. As so well. yeah, but it's also smart because Latam is the main carrier in in South America, and it's a very good one. With very, I keep seeing their Dreamliners all around. So you know, the, the, like you said, it, it seems to be a much better strategy than Etihad. I mean, the similar idea of strategy, yeah. but like though, 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 though. Let's the one the one that will we will see what happens because it's a similar uh, idea than than Etihad is obviously uh, Meridiana Airlines. So it's 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 a tiny Italian airline. So Qatar just bought forty nine percent of it. Uh, Meridiana was actually founded uh, in the sixties by the Aga Khan. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, if you don't know, look him up. Very famous personality. Uh, <laughs> When I say it's it's a gamble, it's because Meridiana has maybe what fifteen or sixteen planes. Very old airplanes. Like the, the seven thirty, exactly. They even have an MD eighty for yeah, yeah. I think the strategy there was with the, with the national carrier on its yeah, knees exactly. and probably going to disintegrate. You have an opportunity yeah. to step in and suddenly become the yeah. national carrier. Exactly, exactly. I think I think they want to be the new the new. Yeah, yeah. You're right, Alex. I think you're. Uh, it's but it's. I mean, you know, you look at this and you say, and by the way, Al Baker said, oh, we're going to invest. I think they, they want to bring 787s, 330s, yeah. uh, 737 Max. So they really want to go from like this tiny airline of 15 or 16 planes to a massive airline and becoming the national carrier for, for yeah. Italy as soon as Alitalia basically goes truly bankrupt, which should happen any day now because we're not hearing any good news for the moment. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out as well because they're they're uh, a rather fondly regarded airline meridian they may be old and they you know maybe uh, small but i think they seem to be quite good and perhaps that's another thing that they were looking at as well is this this is we're not having to change the public image of this airline as much as we would have to with perhaps some other airlines out there the reason I say, well, let's wait and see is because obviously that is very reminiscent of what you just said, is Etihad trying to go into small airlines like Air Serbia, etc. The Air Serbia deal actually is a pretty good one, I'm hearing. So it's really not the one that is, uh, it's not Alitalia. Yeah. So let's see, let's see. The, the, the advantage probably of going to an airline like Meridiana is uh, maybe it's old. I'm not sure how well it is managed, but it can't be too big. By definition, you can reshape a culture, even if it's Alitalia probably was a much harder, you know, task to reshape a culture because it was a major yeah. airline. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. And there's so much debt there. I don't think Meridian is big enough to have crippling debt or yeah, any other exactly, issues. Yeah. I think they're just a small, plucky airline, like an Allegiant or something like that, that mm-hmm. that just sits there in the background and, and people use because it, it goes to slightly off the beaten path uh, uh, destinations. Talking about off the beaten path, uh, I don't know what you... Did you see the ad of Qatar Airways, let's keep the skies open? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, this obviously is about them being shut out of uh, uh, by the uh, <laughs> their Middle East fraternity, if you will, uh, at every level. I mean, not just not just airlines, but but politically and and operationally, they've been cut off. And I think that that's that's what this is a reaction to. You guys, you'll see is of course both a reaction of the current situation, which is still not resolved in the region, but also obviously the relationship with the U.S. U.S. versus the ME three. The ad is kind of inspiring that the u.s needs jobs the u.s needs is built by immigrants i mean watch it and if, i mean clearly it's it's a lobbying ad let's not you know but it's you can see that uh sometimes you have al baker the outspoken qatar airways part and this is more the kind of soft yeah. inspiring aspiring for the future i'm sure they, they kept al baker out of the editing room so you know, <laughs> sh- <sorry>. yeah <laughs> yeah it definitely doesn't have his brashness to it <laughs> Uh, but by the way, I was looking into Qatar as one of the ways to go to uh, Tokyo, where I just came back from, because I wanted to try the, the Kui Suite to update ah. the Kui Suite now. So the business class product on the 777-300 is available also from Paris, Charles de Gaulle. Uh, and from London, at least, I uh, told you a few episodes ago, that's the 4 uh, p.m. flight now. It's the actual the 3 a PM 5305, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one you want to be looking at if you want to go from London Heathrow to uh, Doha in the Coup Suite. I think on the way, the other way, I think it's 1135. Guys, just look it up. Uh, now the all the, the seat maps have been put in place. So let's stay in the front of the cabin. I know some people will tell us we're always in the front of the cabin, but let's continue. The new, uh, we just also talked about the 380, uh, Singapore Airlines, uh, which it's receiving its new 380s. It, it has put some, two already uh, are uh, off service. Yeah, two of the very uh, first. Off- amongst the very first 3Ts ever built, actually. They've announced a new first-class uh, cabin as well, and it looks absolutely magnificent as well. It does. It looks like a little hotel room. <laughs> exactly. It's got this beautiful <laughs> recliner and these beds that look like actual beds. Like, they're separate. So you have a separate comfortable seat uh, and a, a beautiful single bed. It looks nice and airy and well-designed, as, as yeah, you would it, come to expect from these guys, frankly. Yeah, and it's a one-one. This one, so it's not one-one-one. It's a one-one. There's literally one on each side, and that's it. I've never actually flown the current suite product. I, they also have doors, but it looks fantastic. But it's impossible to upgrade to. Although I have a zillion miles in Star Alliance. If you don't have the actual miles on uh, Singapore's program, uh, Chris Flyer is really hard yeah, to get it to, is. to them. And you can actually do a double yeah. bed here because you can remove that. That's one of always the... been their their thing, though, hasn't it? Because in the previous iteration of the suites, you could have this double, but it wasn't a fully double. This is like a full double bed in a double room. It's <laughs> exactly. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. That's, I like Singapore that's... Airlines. I know they've had a real rough go of it lately, but I, I really like them because they do. 
innovative stuff like this and they do it with elegance yeah a lot of elegance exactly uh and uh i remember i told you that my best so far memory of a flight of it's always the crew right it's always the staff the product is of course important but it's always someone i just flew back uh, uh with cafe pacific and i told you i think that i always had this kind of which one is better i mean of course it's comparing apple to orange and sometimes mm-hmm. but because of the staff, even though I had a magnificent flight from Hong Kong to Gatwick just the other day, because of the staff again, the best staff I ever had this year was twice, and it was twice on, on Singapore Airlines. So they have not only a magnificent hard product, the seat is fantastic. I, it was not the first class for me, but still. Uh, but the crew is great. And I, I really like that airline. I don't know. They have, I will always give them the benefit of the doubt if I have one less than stellar experience because I've had so many good experiences. I mean, yeah. it's always that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think in terms of the default, if you will, customer experience, they, they're they hard to beat. They really are hard to beat. They also announced a new business class. And uh, that's interesting because they're known to have these super large seats. Mm-hmm. Like they're like overly large. Even for someone like me, who's, I'm not especially large, but I'm very tall. They are very, very yeah. large. You never kind of occupy the full seat. When you sleep, you sleep slightly sideways, which some people find awkward. It's fine. I've, I've done it several times. Uh, and, I've, and I've seen concurrently, I think right now on various triple and of course the 380, uh, you have uh, at least four or five different products uh, currently existing yes. with uh, Singapore Airlines. They just had revamped their 777, which uh, Singapore Airlines, which I think I've explained in a, two episodes ago, maybe or three, where I flew back from uh, Singapore after being in Bangkok and I had the newest 777 business class, which is a, a newer version of this very large seat. This one, which is for the 380, they lose that kind of large yes. seat. So it becomes a more traditional forward-looking seat. It looks really nice. The one thing, though, and it's only on the picture, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, uh, Alex, the one thing I find uh, a bit sad is that all the window seats, whether near the left or the right, have that little table and a little distance from the window. So you're not close to the window, you're closer to the ale every single time. Yeah, that's a little bit of a bummer, but it's not... It's not too no, bad. It's not a deal breaker, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, but no, I know what you mean. Like, it's nice to be able to sit there and actually look th- and take up the, you know, I appreciate the, the size of the window and that's, you can't really do that with this. But I like how they have a sort of almost like a little overhang. Like yeah, you have a shell. Like a cushion, yeah, shell. That's yeah. the perfect word for it. And I think it gives yeah. you that privacy uh, and that, you know, sense of intimacy as well. But it, again, yeah. it's it's such a thoughtful, elegant design. Lovely colors as well. Yeah, lovely colors. Because when I flew that 777 in business class, which already had kind of upgraded colors, the following time when I flew again, uh, the traditional business class, that very large seat, that very large seat looked a bit dated mm-hmm. somehow. No, I agree. It's hard to say because it looks like very first world problem when we talk about data uh, product for that. No, but but when I when I see these pictures, uh, like the one you just described, is it looks really very modern. Very, uh, it's a very good take on a business class product. So I'm very looking forward to try. Yeah, that. and again, they've done the thing as well where you can turn it into uh, a double bed, if you will. I in the middle, yeah, yeah, for the middle seats. I, yeah, I, yeah. The, that they never had that before in business, did they? That was only in the suites, wasn't it? Mm, yes, I think so. So correct. this is nice. Yeah. This is this is very cool. But do you, do you reckon, Alex, that a lot of people because we see a lot of airlines talking about this double thing, you know, being in a couple? Yeah. Do you reckon? Do you have actually seen it? Not that you are, are spying on, on fellow um, passengers where they're sleeping, but have you seen people actually yeah. using that? Yeah, kind of, I, I, yeah, I okay. have, or at least in a situation where if it was available, they would probably use it. 
I think, you know, I, I think about it, you know, would I, would I use it with my wife? No, because I want a window seat. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if, you know, if, if we get to a point where the screens are good enough. And oh, so going back to Emirates quickly, that's another thing. I didn't mind being in the middle row because yep. you could have this big, beautiful uh, outdoor camera view if you wanted it. So you you, yeah. you could enjoy it as well. And, and that, that's Especially the, uh, the Airbus, the 380s, the 350s. The, the 350s the tail, one, yeah. The, the tail camera, the camera that is... Because usually on, on Boeings and older Airbus, you have the front and the camera that shows what happens below. But the tail camera, which is so fantastic. Yeah, you get you such a great view. aircraft. Yeah, and uh, and especially the 350, I flew it recently. Uh, I just mentioned the Cathay Pacific from Hong Kong to to Gatwick. I'm not sure; it's not UHD that quality of the. It's much better windows, than the 380, though. But isn't it's it? yeah, exactly it's already very good. It's there's a lot. It doesn't seem to be a lot of defaults. You know, like these. Yeah, kind of yeah. Even even at night as well. I was yeah, really impressed yeah. on my Finnair experience with the 350. It's really, uh, really wonderful. Um, uh, yes, there's one Airbus 380 that is now uh, left at Shanghai, is not being in use anymore. So they, they because they've replaced it with a newer one. Uh, the first one, the first ever they got, was actually taken back by the leasing company. It's called Peters Group or something. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, they brought it back to France, uh, to the Pyrenees, near, near basically where it was built, actually in, in Toulouse in the, the Airbus uh, factory. The very interesting bit here. It's the first ever 380 being taken back yeah. by a leasing company. Yeah? It's the real and test, isn't it? No one is buying it. There, are, I've heard rumors lately in the last 24 hours that BA are oh. seriously looking at at additional 380s. Oh, because BA just announced a revamp of like almost six billion dollars of uh, upgrades and new airplanes. And I guess after the whole you know criticism they've got, we don't we won't have the time to discuss about this in this episode. So maybe that's part of it. But uh, I heard that if they don't find anyone to sell it to, they will break it down wow. in parts and sell it sell the parts. They say that they could get from the parts alone. Around a hundred million dollars. The official price tag for the 380 is 250. So the a hundred million dollars just for the parts. Wow. wow, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Singapore Airlines wouldn't have paid 150 million dollars over the 10 year life for that. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. But uh, that's then is pretty extraordinary because that plane is is 10 years old. It's not that old no. actually. And Emirates, Emirates ones will come off the market at yeah. some point. So this is a really interesting point in the history and future of the of the 380 program will people snap these up i want to do an episode when we, when we debate about that because i i believe a lot of people and i understand from a layman's point of view and i'm being condescending here but the the 380 is very appealing it's a very different type of aircraft it's this double decker it's massive and people are really happy and mentioned to you that they will fly a 380 they have flown a 380 I find the most after the, of course, the seven four seven. I find the most, the most disruptive plane of the past twenty years is actually the triple seven, and that's that's the, that's the massive shift yeah. in the history of the like a a long haul two engine. Well, that's it, isn't uh, it? That's it, yeah. it. It's the airplane that took everybody away from four engines. They took a chance because we say that Airbus took a chance. Said, yes, Airbus took a chance by doing the 380. I'm not here to criticize. You know, it's easy. In hindsight, it's always easier, right? And and still, the 380 is still very valid for very busy airports like uh, Heathrow, even right? Because there's no capacity, so you have to have bigger planes. Yeah. But in terms of taking a chance, when when the 777 program was being done, 
the ATOPS, so the ability of flights with two engines to fly afar from a, an airport by more than 60 minutes, 80 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours, was not even there. They, they built an aircraft betting on the fact that the regulation would follow. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing. It is amazing. It's, 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 it's amazing. It, it was a revolutionary airplane yeah. in every way. I don't think sometimes he gets that credit. Maybe no, amongst because people I know, like I, us. I think it looked so similar to its predecessors. I mean, you know, a 767 still looks a lot like a triple seven whereas the 380 was so utterly different yeah, and different. huge the dreamliner is so different in it's in the way it looks and, and the way it was built so you know the the triple seven was was revolutionary but in ways that aren't perhaps perceptible to the human eye <laughs> and here we're talking like uh, wide bodies because in narrow body i think airbus they really nailed it with the 320 and uh, the 321. Yeah. For the wide body planes, the first time and the, that they really nailed it, because I don't think the 330 was there, the 340 was clearly not there, is the 350. The 350 will prove to be the success for Airbus. Yeah. I think this is an aircraft, not only because it looks good and whatever, but because it's the answer to the 777, basically. And you see how late they are to the answer of the 777. It's the actual answer for the 777. It's an amazing plane. This aircraft, and not the 380, and again, people, and I understand because it's not, it's a more normal looking plane, if you want, but the 350 is the aircraft that, that will make that will allow Airbus to continue fight uh, uh, Boeing, I believe. Yeah, uh, it definitely seems that way. It seems to be proving popular as well, and it's a great airplane. It's got a it's got a fantastic feel to it. So I I, I think uh, I think you're right. I think it was their answer to the triple seven and not the Dreamliners. It was pit, pitted against in the media. Now. Uh, <laughs> The, the fact that 380s are going offline and maybe being put like in France near Toulouse uh, in storage is good news for one thing, uh, and I hope it doesn't happen again, an uncontained incident explosion of an Air France uh, 380 over Greenland. Yeah, it, it was over, it was yeah, they fa- yeah, just this, extraordinary. Wow, the images are pretty, wow. Yeah, it was... It was extraordinary. This was, uh, as you say, an uncontained engine failure that when you saw the the pictures that were taken by the by the passengers was spectacular i mean i wow. would say at, at wow, what, wow wow 40% of the engine was missing the entire yeah. front cowling uh, and pipes were dangling off of it and they actually found them embedded in the snow in yeah. greenland one team, which is incredible that they were able to, even able to find them kudos to the to airbus for building an airplane that could withstand that because it could have been catastrophic when you've got yeah, I mean, uh, bits I of mean, the engine just, coming you, off you of just, yeah because you just mentioned that uh some of course the engine itself but there are images of the wing the wing was hit not a lot thank god but you could see that some of the bits when they exploded clearly hit other parts of the aircraft and you know the, the aircraft was able to continue to fly and find an emergency length strip at the goose bay airport i think it's an air, military aircraft um, base or something mm. so wow yeah so kudos to airbus and kudos to air france i guess as well to the pilots yes yeah and absolutely and it looks like it's a manufacturing defect in this in this oh, particular okay. type of engine they the faa put out a emergency airworthiness directive for this particular type of engine and it's it's about the fan hubs and the their fatigue because this was quite a high high use it had uh it had 3500 flight cycles on it which apparently wow. is, is high uh, or relatively wow. high. The crazy thing is, so this happened on the 30th of September. The plane is still there. Yeah. So that's why I started this story with the storage thing is because 
they cannot fly it as is. No. They say they, we're they not going to fly with They thought about trying to figure out how to do that. But they are in the process of removing the engine because they need to investigate the actual cause of that incident. So to fly it back to France, where the BEA, where Bureau Enquête, I don't, know, I don't remember the name, which is the NTSB, is it in the US? Yeah. The French operation will actually study the engine and say what actually happened. It still leaves the aircraft in Goose Bay. And uh, the, so they had, they had an issue because they couldn't find a replacement engine. And at some point, they thought about there's one Airbus 380, which is homed, I think, at the Bourget. So it's a museum. Yeah. And they thought, let's take the engine from that one, fly it to Goose Bay, put it back on the Air Force 380. Thank God Airbus found a currently being built engine. They will fly that one to Goose Bay. They will attach it. But, and that's the interesting bit, they're only doing it for balance. Yeah, they're not going to use the they're engine. Exactly. They're not going to plug it, which clearly also has other types of issues is that when you depart, you certainly have to, uh, and there was an article, I don't remember because I read that the other day, there was a British Airways pilot that said that there were special procedures. Yeah, that was a from fascinating a, a, read. There's a thrust asymmetry when you have one of the engines not working. You have to compensate yeah. that there's only three engines working. In the same article, they also mentioned that they will plot a special route, which is always close to potential airports to be landing at because they don't want to have, oh, shoot, another of the yeah, engines the, going off. Especially or, the <laughs> engine on the side that's already failed. I mean, it, 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 exactly. it is still possible to fly it. Because those planes are just quite extraordinary, but you'd you'd rather not. And of course, they, there's so many calculations for takeoff, and and just as importantly, if you have to go around, there's lots yeah, of. Yeah. So that was a fascinating read as well. But uh, boy, what a I, what I, an incident that was. That reminds me, and we talked about it in this show. I don't remember in which episode the a replacement engine they had to find for that Swiss, I think, yeah. uh, flight. Also, like in North Canada, like in some very heavy winter situation, and how they were able to put it back. Maybe I'll reput the link on the show notes of that one because that's a fascinating. I'm sure somebody will write about how they did it with that Air France 380 because that's an engineering feat by itself. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, I'm so glad that this ended well because it could have been horrific, but goodness me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember when uh, when uh, when the Airbus uh, 380, the, the first ones, there, there was one incident around with Qantas, Qantas yeah. remember? Similar. I mean, again, nothing... Uh, and and Singapore was it not a Singapore as well that had not a not an uncontained one but also some but that was like years ago. We hope never to see what, of course, a lot of people said when the three eighty was uh, was uh, released. Like if that one ever crashes, we'll hear it a lot yeah. about it. So yeah, thank God that didn't happen, and, and I'm sure it won't. It will actually uh, never never happen. The nice thing about uh, recording, however, like much, much later after a story like that happened, is not only we can talk about all this and say, you know, how will they recover the plane and et cetera, but also it gives you some kind of perspective because I've heard how angry the passengers were that, you know, at Goose Bay Airport, there were no stairs with a height yeah. of so people couldn't leave. And you're like... Yeah, of course. And that's an issue. And of course, they ran out of supplies in the aircraft, so there was nothing to eat anymore. But then again, you know, you just basically survive a potential deadly crash. So Yeah, you've got to have a little bit of perspective. A month later, you're like, okay, guys, come on. Now you moved on. Two aircrafts were brought on, a small... There was an Air Canada? I don't remember. There was one that went to Vegas, which is was a charter flight, and one uh, scheduled flight. A schedule was not scheduled to Goose Bay, but they rerouted and lent them to LA or something. So... 
everything went well in the end. Yeah, you Nobody got to you got to where you were hoping to go, and you're alive. <laughs> Hard to argue anyway. with that. So uh, a loss for Airbus because it's always like a bad publicity when that happened. The big win for Airbus in the U.S. is uh, that acquisition for one dollar or fifty percent point oh one of uh, Bombardier CS program. So not the entire Bombardier company, but just the CS series. You know. If you listen to this show, my love for the CS100, uh, which Swiss has, and I've been lucky to fly, I think, 10 times, nine times already. Swiss has a 300. I'm going to fly it very soon as well. So, wow. Why that happened is because Delta bought, I don't remember the number of... Quite a few. Uh, Quite a few, was maybe 40? At I don't least, remember yeah. now. I don't have it in front of me. Boeing argued that Bombardier was dumping the price. Uh, let's let's say that everybody's kind of dumping the price. You know, the, the price tag of an, uh, an aircraft is never the actual price tag that airlines end up buying it. But they argued that there were state aid from the Canadian government and also the local government. And uh, because we live in times where now administrations are fighting each other on tariffs, uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce had proposed a tariff of 220% yeah, for yeah. each aircraft, So, which would have, of course, meant that probably Delta would have had to cancel its order. I doubt they would have taken 220%. There had been already talks between uh, Airbus and Bombardier back in 2015. And I'm sure, of course, they deny it, but I'm sure this kind of led to new talks being open. The good thing is, first, I love this aircraft. So it ensures probably that the CS100 and 300 will live to see many, many other days because now Airbus will deploy its all weight behind it. So it's, you know, customers, it's uh, Salesforce, it's uh, name and brand as well. For that specific order and further orders in the US, the HQ of Bombardier Sears will stay in Canada. But they will open uh, a subsidiary in Alabama in the U.S., meaning that now these planes will be made in the U.S., thus there's no possible tariffs. It's just planes are very <laughs> clever, isn't it? <laughs> which, yeah. Which Airbus, by the way, does already. You know, some Airbus are mm-hmm. being built yeah, in the U.S. So, so Boeing, obviously, is furious. <laughs> then again, you know what? It's fair. I mean, I'm saying that everybody plays these games in this industry. Well, you know what? I like competition, so I will side with Airbus and Sears Series, and I'm nothing against Boeing. I know that all our U.S. Uh, listeners will harass me now for saying that, but these are great aircraft. And for Airbus, it looks for me that you know it's they are slightly smaller than the 320, so they're a great a great addition to their lineup, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's it's a perfect addition to their lineup, and they they clearly done the numbers and figured out the drawing that conclusion as well but it, it makes total sense for them and i love this is such an elegant solution to a completely manufactured problem and i just said a big middle finger from airbus to boeing as well which is always entertaining <laughs> yeah. to watch if you have the chance air baltic and uh, Swiss have them. Now there's others are coming finally in line. Delta will have them because they will obviously go on with that order. United wanted to buy some. They ended up going for the 737s, but I'm sure that now that uh, Airbus will put its uh, all force behind it, we'll, we'll see more. I, do you think they will They will not rebrand it? Right? I'm not sure. I mean, there was speculation in the cynical uh, factions of the aviation press that they were going to kill the program and that they bought it just to just to kill it. But I... I when you have got so many orders on the books, that seems rather foolish. But yes, I'm sure that they'll they'll at least nudge the name towards something that falls in line with their own branding efforts. But this is it'll be interesting to see. Not, we certainly haven't heard the last of this. You, you haven't flown not yet? Right? No, no. You love it. Definitely sure you love it. My uh, my European adventures have been rather limited this year. It's been all outside. Well, that's not true, but not not nearly as much as in years past. So maybe next year. So how do you track this year? Because we're like uh, ra- I've already broken my record. <laughs> 
it's not healthy, man. But it's uh, and I've still got a a Dubai turn and about six or seven other flights. So, yeah, this is I've already broken my my record for segments and miles. <laughs> well, I said at the beginning of this year uh, in January in our first episode of 2017 that I will fly less than uh, 2016, which for me was my record both in miles and in segments. And for the moment. I'm actually there because I'm just below it and I'm not looking forward. I think I have one remaining, two remaining long haul, New York, and I think I'm going once more to Asia, but that's, uh, I'm still going to stay below. And I'm sure not as much as you because I don't want to think about how many miles it, but like you said, it's not healthy to think this way, but you know. (laughs) Next year, (laughs) next year is a quiet year. It has to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, but you know, I said that at the beginning of this year. I thought it would be more quiet than this one. You remember 50,000 miles in July? Uh, yeah, only? Yeah. That put me over the, like, I was like, oh, oops. Yeah, that's <laughs> extraordinary. Not, not anymore. Um, a few more news before we go to the airport is again, like, we're giving you slightly a longer content because we've been away uh, for so long. Uh, since we just talked about Airbus, uh, very good news for Airbus again. Uh, Airbus was kind of lagging behind Boeing for orders all throughout the year. Even during uh, the Bourget, uh, Airbus wasn't able to kind of catch back to their orders. So it was kind of a dire situation. Not a dire situation, but it was not as hopeful. Yeah, They just signed the biggest or largest ever order by an airline ever. I think it's the largest. Maybe it's not the largest. Some historian here that are listening to us will be able to tell me if it's not. 430 jetliners being sold to a private equity firm, which, of course, leases these planes, uh, Indigo Partners. They've been setting up a lot of ultra-low costs yeah. around the world. So they just sold like 430. I think most of them are A320 Neos. Wow. That must be feeling good for everybody. Yeah. A monster, monster order. And as you say, these guys own uh, Frontier, Spirit, uh, and a couple of others, I think three or four. Uh, low-cost carriers and so they've just gone uh they've just gone crazy i mean that's a monstrous order it's crazy 430 (laughs) it's hard to comprehend insane um what other trips did you do uh i mean we're not gonna go all of them because we want to have also more for the other episodes but i think you flew to st petersburg i did i flew to st petersburg on ba that was from from london is it from getwick or no that's from heathrow uh and yeah that was that was fine it was uh you know, typical short haul BA. Uh, <laughs> you know, not the XBMI three twenty one. Then uh, no, it was it was Club World uh, or Club Europe. So it just meant that we were you know slightly more uh, you know towards the front of the airplane. Everything else is pretty much the same. Well, middle seat free. Yeah, that's how they sell it, right? That that's the, how they all sell these airlines it. in Europe. A little bit of little bit of you know business class lounge access and all that stuff but no it was it was funny we did go out of terminal three which was good the new lounge is there uh ba lounge is pretty good but other than that no it was typical and you released the episode of attache yes. for sam pete we did. which is why i wanted to mention it it's a very cool one guys of course i'm going to put the link in the show notes but i'm Pretty certain that every single one of you who is a listener for this show is also a subscriber of Attaché. If you're not, you should be ashamed. <laughs> and uh, then you subscribe right now to Attaché. It's on YouTube. And the last one is Sam Pete. I already know a lot of the other episodes coming up. All very cool. But this one is a very nice one. And I've never been to St. Petersburg. And now I really want to do it. But we'll do the airport one of these yeah, days. Yeah, it's uh, worth talking. I'm sure it's very interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure it's an interesting story. I've done uh, with BA. I think yeah, what did I have done? I've done Tirana. I went to yeah. Albania. Also on an airport I will talk 
work about at some point. It's good because we're buffering on airports to being able to do in the future. Because you guys, you don't realize, but we usually choose the airport we're going to do like five minutes before the show starts. So like, okay, which one yeah. should we do today? <laughs> it's true. So now, so now we have actually quite a lot of buffered. Uh, so Tirana was interesting. It was with BA. They only fly uh, Tirana from Gatwick. And I was able to finally experience the new BA lounge at Gatwick. So I was surprised it's because good, isn't it? the last... And I was messaging you because I was confused because the last time I flew BA from Gatwick, we're departing from the north terminal and they moved to the south. Or is it the opposite now? Yeah. So they had to create a new lounge because they switched terminals. And it's a really, really nice lounge. They've done it's bright and airy. It's, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's views really on good. the apron so you can see like a lot of aircrafts. It's, by the way, I saw a lot a lot because that's the other news we didn't talk about because I think it happened just whilst we were recording the last episode. I saw a lot of the repatriation flights from Monarch. Ah. Uh, so all these um, charter airlines, the government, the CAA, you know, chartered and paid to go and grab people. And I read somewhere it's, it's the biggest repatriation of British nationals since, since war, war yeah. II. It's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. That was an extraordinary. I mean, we we should go into it next episode because and sort of pick it apart a little bit and try and understand what happened. But yeah, it was an extraordinary effort. And and kudos to the people behind the scenes at the governmental level because it was I think it was the CIA who actually ran it. But they they did a good job, all things considered. And they brought oh, in a bunch of the Qatar Airways airplanes to deal with that and a, a few others. But yeah, pr- pretty impressive. Major major people movement exercise yeah i'm completely crazy i did a few other flights uh, madrid other. so i think because we're running at above an hour i'm gonna do the flight to tokyo with uh Cathay pacific although i hinted at it many times in this episode i'll do it in the next episode alex will also talk about his flight uh to japan it was a different experience for him so we'll talk about those in the next episode because i have a few stories about haneda that we need to compare like our experiences yes. how was it for you and how was it for me? Because I had the strangest things happening to me <laughs> in Haneda. <laughs> very Japanese, but very strange, right? Um, the one thing that I will mention before we move on to the airport, I've also went to see Bruce Dickinson, the, of course, famous singer of uh, Iron Maiden. He just released his book called What Does This Button Do? Very cool book. It's an autobiography. He talks a lot about actually aviation in it. You may not know, guys, uh, he's, uh, he's also an airline pilot. Uh, he's been for two or three companies. The latest one is one actually based, I think, in Djibouti. But before that, he was at, I forgot the name now, uh, Astraeus. Astraeus. Uh, it was, I think, a charter airline. He also flew, obviously, Iron Maiden, the band itself, on Air Force One, which so went cool. as first the, the 757. And on stage, the, there was an event at a Troxy here in London. Uh, it was a launch event of the book. Sally couldn't meet him because, I mean, it was like massive. So many people bet, were there. Like, it was amazing. Like, it was almost like people were expecting to see like a, a, a concert, right? And he was telling stories. So for like an hour and a half on stage, he was reading parts of the book. And interestingly, so 70% of them were his piloting stories. And he was talking about how he qualified to become a 747 pilot, because that was the, the latest one for Air Force One. And all that to say that I hope to, uh, I'm going to reach out to these uh, publicists and I'm going to try to invite him one of these days because I, talking about airlines with him could be super, yeah, super, absolutely. super cool. Absolutely. We should absolutely do that. The one thing that um, you as an ex-Virgin, Alex, will appreciate, at the end of the show, there were uh, questions from the public. And one question was, uh, would you do a gig in orbit? So would you basically ever fly in orbit? Uh, and he answered, he answered the following, he says, 
show me the way, but I'm not going up on that Richard Branson thing. He can't even fix that broadband. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Quote. Yeah, I mean that's 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 <laughs> probably true. <laughs> By the way, uh, so Virgin just acquired, I think, or invested in Hyperloop, which is this uh, super fast train. It's still science fiction because there's like a mini test track somewhere in Nevada, yeah. but uh, that's something maybe that will replace our travel one day. We'll, we'll have Hopefully to have virtual windows. There, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> the one good thing about flying in a tube with a Hyperloop is that you have no risk to be actually hit by a drone. You told me that you saw a drone on final. Yeah, recently? we were I, we were landing at Heathrow a couple of days ago, and I looked. I was looking out the window. Maybe we were fifteen seconds, twenty seconds from touchdown, and I thought, "Oh, that bird is pretty close." You know, you don't like birds being too close. I'm like, "Wait, that bird isn't moving. It's just sitting in midair over a a neighborhood." I was like, "That's a freaking drone," and it was maybe. God, 250 feet off of our wing at the same height that we wow. were. Uh, wow. So yeah, and I, I I tried to speak to the captain about it to see, hey, did you did you see that? But they were they were busy, and and actually wow. it brought up an interesting thing because I was like, well, who do I tell? Should I tell yeah. anybody about this? What, who do who do who do I mention it to? And I actually I tweeted to Nats and a couple of other people, but never never heard back. But it's uh, it was very disconcerting to see that. Very yeah, we, we both said many, many times over in the past that this is an incident or accident, I hope not, but uh, bound to happen at some yeah. point, right? Because, uh, and you really have to be crazy to be flying a drone so close to a restricted, and of course, an airport. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm sure the footage must be insanely good, by the way, right? And I wish I had that to do, you know, whatever vlog I, I would do, but this is insane. Actually, there are new rules in the UK, and I'm not sure they're already in place or they are about to be in place. If you have a drone that weighs more than eight ounces, it's around 230 grams, basically. So we're talking about hobbyist drones, yeah. you know, the drones that you and me can buy. You, pro I think you have one. I do, you yeah. Have a, I have a D which a one, the Mavic? Yeah. Or? You now have to register, like in the US. In the US, you know, there's been recently that, that you have to register. But on top of it, in the UK, you will have to pass an exam. I don't know exactly what the exam is, but I'm hearing that the exam will be an awareness exam to basically tell you, hey, you know what? You shouldn't fly a drone near to an airport. Yeah, you, so, and, and the... To, you combine that with the software that's built into so many drones that it just won't let you take off if you're anywhere near an airport. Do you have that? Yeah. Does it actually do mm -hmm. that? Like in California, I could not take the drone off when I was near my in-laws because they live in near a municipal airport. So I wouldn't so even meaning, let me take it off. Within the software, there's being like geo-based yeah. fencing of some areas, yeah, you think? Absolutely. Do you know if that works in, in the UK or uh, Europe? Have you ever tried you know, it somewhere? You don't I know. I don't know. I think it probably does. So I should I should try it. Uh, I, you know, I'm not gonna. I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna. I know, I'm not but... gonna try it. Try it, but but uh, yeah, no, it's it's, uh, it, it was interesting to see um, yeah. that it just wouldn't even take off. And if you look at uh, you know a lot of these big uh, like DJI and a few of the other big manufacturers have websites you can go and check. You know, oh, interesting. I, had, uh, I really had no idea because, I mean, I don't have a drone because I would love to have one. I was looking into the smaller one, you know, the new DJI that is, uh, I don't remember the name, that is like almost like the size of your hand. So that's really super ultra portable. The problem is that, and I think I've already said that in an episode in, in this show, that I mostly go to city uh, and I cannot have it in Tokyo. I cannot have it in Hong Kong. I cannot have it in Paris, in London, in New York. So I'm not, never going to be able to fly it ever. Mm. 
<laughs> and although I don't live anymore under the path of, uh, I still have planes. I mean, I live, you know, west in, in, in London. So basically, Ether is not that far. So I'm not even sure that I could fly anything now here. So meaning, do I really want a drone that I can never fly anywhere? Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't live in the outback of Australia. Right? Yeah, well, exactly. Clear. Do you do you do you use it? I mean, in parks or maybe or yeah. I mean, I live in a very rural, rural part of England, so yeah, I'm able to fly it. But you know, it, the thing is, is I've flown it in near my father's house, which is in rural France, and it's completely open there. But you still have low flying aircraft, and while we're both allowed to be in that airspace, it makes me very nervous to fly it, yeah. you know, more than 500 feet. I was in uh, Paris. Uh, I was hosting a conference called Hello Tomorrow, which is a, a, a tech conference, but a very different type of tech conference because it looks into financial technologies that are making our future. So it doesn't look at the latest app or latest. It looks at really like, you know, nanotechnology into blood vessels. It looks at, and there was a part of aviation actually sponsored even by Airbus. Airbus was actually even there as uh, they had a booth. It was fascinating. And I'll talk maybe about that in the next episode about the use of virtual reality because I was challenging them. And they were telling me about how they were using that for training, how they were using that to repair aircraft remotely and stuff like that. I mean, so anyway, to say that I've met a startup that is doing something that could actually help you uh, in that conundrum you just mentioned, it would actually geofence and uh, act as um, avoiding systems. So when there's an aircraft, it would automatically tell your drone to stop and not fly there or to change course, et cetera. So they're really looking into that problem of having not the big, you know, obvious ones like airports and military zones, et cetera. Right. But these, I don't know, someone is flying a glider, you're there, you're about to hit him. How do you... So it's interesting. The people are looking into it. So maybe I'll get a hold of these guys at the startup. They're based in Switzerland, actually. For oh, a, nice. Uh, and... Uh, to ask them maybe to come on the show and talk for 10 minutes about that, because that's an interesting use case as well for maybe not for airliners, because this is going to be done with regulation, a big project, maybe for more hobbyist stuff. It's so, definitely yeah. worth, because uh, it's it affects increasingly as these beca- things become more and more accessible, more people. So I think it's it's definitely worth talking about. Yeah, and that's where I almost broke my feet backstage. That was Oh, God, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm still... <laughs> I'm still hurting from that, especially after a week of walking in Tokyo. This is nothing to do with aviation, guys, but I'll talk. <laughs> anyway, so to the airport, we chose London Bing Hill because I hinted at it many times. Also, because after a, more than a month not recording, we're back. So we're back in London. Is it an airport in London? Yes, it's actually closer to, like, for instance, London South End. It's still outside of Greater London, but it's not that far. The reason you might never had heard of it is because it's an airport that has no scheduled service because it's banned. They cannot have any scheduled service. They have two runways, one of which could easily accommodate 320s and 737s. Have you ever flown there, Alex? Not flown there. I've, they, they put on an excellent... Uh, air show every year and they have done for a long time so i've been there many many times but i've never flown in or out of there it's a very important airport for this country because it was one of the pivotal commanding bases during the battle of britain it was a spitfire and hurricane base so it was it's incredibly important airport historically for this country he actually just turned 100 years old this year but if you fly private you could be landing there and uh I'm not going to give all the details out of privacy concerns. I don't want to say who it was, 
But I was offered a ride <laughs> to back from, I was in France, in the French Alps, and I flew from Geneva to Bing Hill in a private jet. Uh, that's so a pretty cool, cool experience. <laughs> yeah. So I was sitting next to this uh, person at a restaurant. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And I don't know, I just you know, started talking about, I don't know why, because like you and me, we talk about airlines all the time or something. And he says, oh, but how do you fly back to London? Because I left in London too. And I say, oh, I fly back from uh, Charles de Gaulle. I'm taking the first uh, TGV, so the high-speed train. He says, yeah, I'm flying for Geneva. I said, oh, well, if you fly for Geneva, I was thinking of flying to Geneva, but I didn't want to drive by myself, so I'd be very happy to share a car and so I can fly from Geneva. It's actually closer. And I look at him. I said, so who are you flying, BA or Swiss? He doesn't answer. He says, EasyJet? <laughs> he still doesn't answer. And I'm like, he just says, give me a copy of your passport and you'll be fine. And they're like, oh, my God. Okay. So... Yeah, I understand the attraction of flying private. Know that it will, you know, it has happened to me in the past. I flew from Geneva, the same terminal actually, which is a private terminal next to Geneva Airport. Uh, so you cannot go there unless you have a private uh, flight, a private jet, or one of these uh, chartered private jets, you know, uh, privataire, privataire, and uh, the, the other one is another big one. I forget the name of. You know, like uh, we said earlier, you know, uh, there's a reason that Emirates is, is flying its new 777s from Geneva. There's a lot of money. So there's a lot of private jets also leaving from uh, uh, Geneva. It's a very, very nice terminal. And then I got into uh, a Hawker 800. So cool. The, the inside was very reminiscent of that Emirates first class really? experience because big seat that was probably not fully life flat because, come on, it's an hour and something out of flight. You, know, you don't need but service, champagne as much, you know, you know, of course, I mean, I was, you know, I, I was a guest, so I was feeling very kind of, I'm not going to ask for yeah, anything. Yeah. I'm already so happy to be flying, uh, you know, to to back to London on a private jet. And I was taking, I was asking every time, can I take a picture? I was like, oh, fine, don't worry, put down as many pictures. I'm like, yeah, but no, I don't want to brag. <laughs> so, but man, yeah, well, I understand why, why some people like to. And, you know, the security, I mean, come on, it's not a joke, but almost a joke. There is security, but, you know, why? You're going to be a tourist on your own plane or something. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like the risk is very low. Passport control as well was from out because, you know, Schengen in Switzerland back to non-Schengen UK. And uh, in the UK, same. I mean, you know, we, you give out your passport, seated in the plane, having another champagne. They process the thing, they give it back to passport to you, and that's it. Really? That's so cool. <laughs> I cannot really judge a terminal at Bigging Hill because... It's probably very small, but I haven't really seen it. So, guys, I'm sorry. I cannot really kind of give you. Is it a good airport for a layover? <laughs> well, I guess that if you fly private, you don't need to stay at Bigging Hill Airport for a long, long That's time. That's amazing. I've been waiting to hear this story. Well, since April. Two little things about this airport, and then we'll finish the show. First, uh, it's actually part uh, one of the four. I think there's four of the approach to Heathrow. If aircraft arrive from the southeast, it's one of the point of the stacks. So it's one of the uh, recognizable yes. points. It's actually an important, in, in a way, airport for traffic in London, although, again, no one lands there. Uh, and uh, it's also uh, the airport that is, if you've seen the movie Da Vinci Code, uh, and that's the airport that's been filmed at. And when I landed, next to us was the private jet of uh, Roger Federer. Ah, so, nice. Yeah. I, I, I didn't see him, but... Uh, I think I saw <laughs> that I saw in the Isle of Man as well. He gets around. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> well, so cool. I'm very envious. I still have yet to fly private, but one day. 
nice to have uh, friends like that, actually. So I'm not going to say who it was. He's probably actually listening to the show. So I just want to tell him and his wife, thank you so much, guys, because it was a wonderful experience. Uh, on that, Alex, where are you flying next? Uh, Dubai on Monday. On a private jet. Oh, yeah, course. naturally. That's the only way I travel <laughs> these days. One day. Oh, is, that, is that the one where you upgraded yourself to first Yeah, class? I'm flying there on business because it's a red eye. And I'm flying back, which is a day flight in, in first. So I'm excited so to experience basically you, you upgraded, not because you want to have a better sleep, but because you want to play with Exactly. I want to experience the whole thing. I'm going to try and document it for Attaché as well. Um, I, we're focused on the book so much at the moment that uh, it probably won't come out until next year. But just to, to have a little poke around. I'm very, very, very looking forward for you to find. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Because I've been telling you about first class all the time. Able to. So take a shower. Yes. Oh, yeah, forget. absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely unnecessary, but you have to do it once in your life. So 100 You have 12 minutes of water. You know, 12 minutes is ample. It's 12 minutes of water and the water stopped itself. So basically you can save for, I think, I think after maybe 30 minutes, they're going to throw you out. <laughs> I hope for you there's turbulences when you take a shower, but that's the funniest <laughs> one. I've done it once. It's actually super cool. <laughs> anyway, Alex, on that, uh, we promise you guys we're going to record sooner than uh, a month. Uh, we received probably more than 50 messages of people, uh, of course, giving us tidbits, news. And I'm sorry I didn't give any shout outs during this episode, but also a lot of people requesting and asking us, where is the next episode? Yeah. Where is the next episode? So sorry, guys, we promise you. Just one shout out because I have it in front of me. Josh Muggle, uh, Josh on Final on Twitter. Uh, Gents just discovered the podcast and the YouTube series from a fellow traveler, both as superb and I'm enjoying catching up on what I've missed. Keep up the great work and safe travels. Yeah, Josh, safe travels. And everybody, safe travels. Safe travels, guys. <laughs> <laughs>